Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. Kicking off our summer series called Summertime Friends. We've done this for the past three years where we bring in some of my friends who are just gifted communicators, uh, people who are leading great churches. God is doing great things in, in and through these people's lives. And I, I believe that it is important for our church to hear from different communicators. And so today, uh, it is my honor and privilege to introduce you to one of my really good friends. We've been friends for years. Uh, he is a gifted leader, he's an amazing father an amazing husband. He's been an amazing friend that has gone from being a friend to really being a brother. And so Trademark Church, would you just give a very warm welcome to my good friend, Pastor Jordan Smucker. Come on, somebody. Are you all excited to be here today? Are you excited to be at Trademark Church today? Hey, I am really honored to be here this morning, and I hope that you like the person you're sitting next to today, because if you're a little bit newer to Trademark, uh, we're going to be here for about the next two to three hours, so you can just kind of hang tight. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, but would you turn to somebody next to you this morning and say, I'm so glad that you sat right there. Come on, can we be encouraging people today? Not only want to welcome everybody who's in the room, but also all of those who are watching online. Thanks for hanging out with us wherever you are tuning in from and Truthfully, whenever I come to a church like Trademark, whose pastor is a really dear friend of mine, I really, honestly, I don't really feel like a guest. Like, it's, it's kind of easy for me just to come in and feel like this is my, this is my home. And, and even just already, kind of just, just your, just your normal flow has made me feel really comfortable. Y'all did communion together. Just feels like home to me. And so thank you for allowing me to be a part of your Sunday morning expression right here at Trademark. And I, I really do deeply love your pastor and his beautiful wife, Brittany, and their, their two children. And Landon and I have known each other for a really long time. In fact, I'm, we probably should have talked about this in between services because I, I still don't even really remember when we first met. We just, it was kind of like one of those slow, natural relationships that just took place. The next thing you know, he's like, he really has become a brother to me. And I was sharing in first service. I said, last night I was sitting in my hotel room. In fact, I was actually lying in bed with my wife and I was thinking about your pastor. <laughs> And that's really weird. Yeah, I agree. But some of y'all didn't even laugh at that. You're like, cool. And, but, but I was, I was thinking about Landon and I was, I was actually just reflecting for a moment on, on how much I appreciate not just the friendship, but, but really, it really is like a brother to me. And, and what I've discovered about Landon is, is something really unique. And, and truthfully, I'm kind of an emotional guy. Like I, 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 it doesn't take a whole lot for me to cry. I blame it on my dad. I'm one of six kids. We're outside, we, I was born and raised outside of Philadelphia, PA. Now my wife and I pastor a church in Columbus, Ohio. We've been doing that for the last three and a half years now. In fact, Trademark Church, y- y'all are the first church when we were getting ready to plant that set up a recurring gift to financially support our new church plan. And so on behalf of my family at Ethos Church and our community there in Columbus, Ohio, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued generosity. What y'all are doing for the Hope for Hoops and, and just, just even in your local community through the, through the pregnancy centers. Like this is really good ground to sow into. And what y'all are doing is, is really significant. But, but as I was just thinking about how unique it is to find friends 
men, leaders, pastors, like Landon, it really is. Like I, I have a lot of friends, and Landon, you have a lot of friends too, but, but there are just a handful of them who just feel like brothers. Others, you're like, I love you. In fact, I really even like you, and you're fun to hang out with, but, but like Landon's one of those few guys who I actually believe when he says, if you need anything, I'm here. Like my wallet is your wallet. Like my family's your family, my home's your home. Like, like and, I, and I just wanna say thank you, bro. Like sincerely, thank you so much. And, and I, what I found to be true about Landon is that he actually is even, he's really gifted. Like he's a gifted leader, pastor, communicator. And God's given him great gifts and he's stewarding it well, but he's better even off the platform than he is on the platform. How many of y'all have found that to be true about your pastor? Can we give it up for them and, and Brittany? And, like they're just, they're really good people. And, and so I really, it's, it's such a joy for me to be here today and, and, and I don't know why, why it took Landon so long to invite me here. I think I'm like pretty low on the list of brothers, but, but, but no, like I really am glad to, glad to be here. And as I mentioned a moment ago, we, we pastor a church in, in Columbus, Ohio, and, and we're coming up on four, four years this fall. My, my wife and I have been married for 16 years this fall. We'll celebrate four years of our, of our church plan. Thank you. One person thinks that's really awesome. And I do too. She put up with me for 16 years. I mean that. Like, like I'm harder to live with than she is. And so... So I'm really grateful for her. She's, she's, she's the absolute joy. Like she's my bride. Like I love her so much. And her and my two kids were in first service. My daughter's Sophia, 13 years old. And my son Judah, he's, he's eight years old. And, and, and as we were flying here, we're coming down and we had a direct flight. And, and as we're coming down, I, my, I looked over at my son who is, he could not stop looking out the window of the airplane. Eight years old. Remember, y'all remember when you, the first time you flew? Anybody remember that? Like, it was a pretty incredible experience, wasn't it? Like, that was my son on this trip. He's flown a couple times, but he was pretty young. He didn't really remember it. And he kept elbowing me the entire flight. Dad, look at this. Dad, look at that cloud. Dad, look, I think that's a lake over there. Like, he just, he was so enamored by the joy of flight, right? And it's funny because I've, I've flown quite a bit and the more I fly, the less I like it. I'm like, I don't wanna fly. Like, I, just, I don't like going through TSA. I don't like the lines. Like, I, I don't like being stuck on a plane and crammed next to people and recycling the same air that everybody else is breathing to. Like, I just don't like it. Like, you know, and, and, yet, and yet it really is a joy. Like, it, it's pretty incredible. Like, I remember the first time that I flew, though, when I was in third grade, I felt the same way as my son did on the flight coming down here. I think sometimes that's how we can treat church, though, too. Like, like the first few times that we come to church, we gave our life to Jesus. We find a life-giving, a life-giving community like you have here at, at Trademark. And you get plugged into a group, and you're like, yo, these people are really cool. Like, I really, like they're really encouraging. They're really kind. Like, they celebrate the wins and the victories in my life. But then over time, maybe a few months, maybe a few years, you start to get kind of offended Somebody from up here says something that you don't agree with. Somebody in your small group, you realize that they vote differently than you vote. And you're like, I don't know if I really like this anymore. And it starts to lose its joy. And I, I just want to encourage us this morning. Like, like as an outsider coming in, like y'all are a part of something really special. Like just, I was just hanging out in the foyer beforehand and outside just greeting folks. And like, I thought, man, like th there's just a beautiful spirit on this place. Like this is something special. Like I just pray that you would not take this for granted. And, and, and I don't think, I, I don't actually think I have a whole lot to offer today. Anything that I do, I really believe it comes from God. I was speaking at a church, a friend of, friend of mine up north in Northern Ohio and earlier this year, and he just told me, he said, Jordan, I just want you to bring me your best message. Just bring our church your best message. I literally responded to a text message and said, I don't have a best message. They're all pretty mediocre. Like, 
He said, well, then just, just bring us whatever you want. Well, I feel like this morning, what I, what I want to share with you really is kind of an overflow of our heart, kind of an overflow of a season that I begin to identify a lot of people in our church were going through. And I, w- I want to share this morning from, from what I think is more of a pastoral message than it is just kind of a guest coming in and depositing something in here. I don't actually like to travel very much. <laughs> You're like, why are you here? Because I love landing so much. Like, because I, I just... I like pastoring people. Like I, I like the weekend and the week out. I like, I like getting into series. And I, I like having six, seven weeks to kind of digest something and wrestle with something for a long period of time. And so just coming, I almost feel, can I be honest with you? Is that okay? I feel a lot of pressure when I come and I got to get like one message. And I'm like, one message has never changed my life. Like relationships have changed my life, but messages never have. And so I'm aware of that. And so I, but what I do want to share with you this morning, I think it's just an overflow of kind of a season that we've been going through as a, as a church up in Columbus, Ohio, that I think is probably unique to what, to what pretty much every follower of Jesus, every Christian is going through. I, I want to share this morning from a really exhilarating title, a talk that we're just going to call Forgiving God. Come on, somebody. Now, to be accurate, to be sure, you don't ever really forgive God. Because God doesn't sin. He doesn't fail. He doesn't make mistakes. And so you can't forgive God. That's theologically inaccurate. But, but I, I do think it's safe to say that there are, there are many of us that need to learn how to reconcile with God. Because we've gone through seasons of disappointment. In fact, you may be there right now. And, and maybe at one time when you first started following Jesus and you got introduced to faith, You had such great high hopes and trust in God. And over a period of time, because things didn't always go the way that you thought that they were going to go, it's not that you stopped believing in him. It's just that your trust has lessened in him. And I I, I pray today, like kind of the burden I carry this week, I just, I pray that today will be a day where we would just kind of learn to trust him just a little bit more once again. How many of y'all love a good miracle story? Can I see your hand? Y'all love a good miracle story? Like, I, I love a good miracle story. Like, I, I love a story of somebody who says, man, Jordan, I just, I just for the first time sort of stepped out in faith and I, I began to obey God and, and practice generosity. I started to tithe, Jordan. I, I never really was sure about this whole tithe thing, but I decided I'm just going to try it. And a week later, you'll never believe it. I, I received a promotion at work. A promotion that I had no business receiving. One of those only God moments. You know what I mean? Come on, like I celebrate with that. Individual. I celebrate with that, with that story. But how about the other person at the same table who says, I've been tithing for seven years and I'm barely able to pay my bills. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I've been, Jordan, I've been praying for a miracle. I've been praying for healing. I've been believing God and asking God for healing. And sure enough, three weeks later, God healed my parakeet. Come on, somebody. (laughs) You're like, I've been praying and believing God and asking for healing in a loved one, somebody I care deeply about. And they passed away. Like, what do you do when when things don't go the way that you thought that they were going to go? You got a girlfriend and she's she's been dating a not so good guy, right? Like, and everybody's been telling her, like, you are way better than him. You can, you can do way better than him. And finally, she kind of gets the courage to, to, by faith, break up with this not-so-good guy. And three days later, God brings this new guy across her path. And this guy looks like the son of Brad Pitt. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. 
and he's got like half the New Testament memorized, and three months later, they're engaged. Three months after that, they're, they're preparing to get married, and on their wedding day, they're both memorizing 1 Corinthians 13 so they can recite it together in their vows, right? Like, by faith, you break up with your boyfriend in 2017, and the only dates you've been on since then is with Ben and Jerry, right? Like, you're like, what do I do with that? Like, Here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. And I, I literally mean wrestle. Because I think sometimes, probably more so even, even in our kind of our 21st century American church, we sort of just play church and sort of have these Christianese answers to really complex and challenging faith questions that we have. And so I want us to wrestle with this question today, not just assume that there's a quick fix and a short answer to it, but rather say, God, like do something in my heart today. Like, Here's that, here's that question. Like, like, what do you do when you find yourself disappointed with God? What do you do? The baby that you always dreamed of and the doctor continues to tell you, you can't have. The engagement you believed would be coming. The miracle that you know God has the power to do and yet, for whatever reason, he's chosen not to, to do it. What do you do? You don't even wanna say it out loud because it's kind of embarrassing. And it maybe even brings about some shame. And maybe you're, <laughs> maybe you're kind of afraid of some judgment from some, from some church folk, from some other Christians who are going to be like, no, you can't say that. But like you are disappointed with God. And it's not that you don't want to trust him. Like you desperately want to. Like you really want to, but you're stuck. You're anchored in disappointment. In a 2011 study titled Disappointment Theory, it identified that the three most commonly experienced emotions in all of our lives are love, regret, and disappointment. It's like it's a, it's a regular part of what we all experience. And, and if you slow down long enough, you might even realize that just in this last week, according to studies, over 70% of us have experienced disappointment on some, on some level. Disappointment is defined as, as the study goes on, the psychological reaction to an outcome it doesn't, it just doesn't match what we are expecting to experience. It's a way in which sadness is experienced. The experience that you feel when you consider what might have been in contrast to, come on, like it just, this just is what it is. It's, it's what we are currently presently experiencing. It's what comes with finality. It's the recognition that you don't have or you didn't get whatever it is that you really wanted. And the crushing emotional blow of disappointment is exasperated when you're disappointed by somebody that you trust and by somebody that you expect to have given you what you wanted. In fact, the study concluded by identifying that constant disappointment with a loved one, with somebody that you put a great deal of trust in, will eventually lead to blame, then resentment, and eventually rage or anger or walking away from that relationship, from that person. In fact, did you know that the, the top two reasons why people walk away from God? Number one is disgust with other Christians. Like they're just kind of tired of the hypocrisy or maybe, they, maybe they're tired of the way that we treat one another. It's just kind of, I'm just kind of disgusted with all of it. But the second reason is they're disappointed with God. The second number two reason why people call it quits on their faith, why they walk away from him entirely, because they're, they're disappointed with God. 
And I started to identify this within our own church and among so many of my friends. Like we just didn't know how to wrestle with doubt. We didn't know what to do with disappointment. And as a result, they weren't maybe even necessarily walking away from him entirely, but they were no longer trusting in him the way they once did. The relationship with him became more like that marriage or that friendship that you sort of just put up with rather than one that you lean into and look forward to with great zeal and zest. And I want us to, again, we're just, what do we do with disappointment? In the words of Lisa Turkhurst, one of my favorite authors, she says, getting hurt by people is hard. But come on, you know this. Getting hurt by what God allows, that can feel unbearable though. And I probably wouldn't want to be the first one to raise my hand in a Bible study and admit that I'm struggling with disappointment, but I've been disappointed. I'm not embarrassed to admit, like I feel like I've been hurt by God at times. And so what I want to share with us this morning, this isn't just, this isn't just some cute message. I'm like, I put this together and I hope it helps. Like, no, like I, I feel like I've practiced this and continue to put this into practice. If you're newer to church and you're not really sure what you believe about this whole God thing, let me just pull the curtain back for just a moment and help us all to come to the honest conclusion that you never figure it all out. It's all, it's all sort of just like we're just constantly trying to put this thing into practice, one step in front of the other. The scriptures have a lot to say about this. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the ninth book of the Old Testament, we're introduced right off the bat to three characters. The first one is a man by the name of Elkanah who marries the second character, his childhood sweetheart in one sense, Hannah. And Hannah is everything that Elkanah desires in a wife, except Hannah cannot give Elkanah what he really wants, which is children. Hannah's unable to conceive. And so consequently, Elkanah takes matters into his own, hand, own hands and, and he marries Penina. So now Elkanah's got two wives. Whether you're in the room or you're online and you're thinking to yourself, man, that'd be cool to have two wives. You clearly are single. Because <laughs> the rest of us who are married are like, one spouse is enough. Like, <laughs> and so he's got two wives and Hannah and Penina, they kind of have this little bit of a rivalry going on because Penina's able to have children. In fact, she's able to conceive lots, mu multiple children. We pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 6 says, so Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept Hannah from having children. And so we begin to see how Penina is putting Hannah down over and over again. In fact, in verse 7, it sort of begins to hit home. And, and I want us to feel the emotion of these verses. I, I want us to step into the normalcy and the humanity of what's taking place here in the scriptures. Because sometimes we can read the Bible and we can almost just feel like, oh, that's cute, that's, that's cool, that's cute, and that's good for my grandma. But like we forget, like, no, like this is good for you and for me today. Like we can step into the reality of the scripture and step into it in this moment right here. Because in verse 7, it says, year after year, it was the same. Things weren't changing. No matter how much Hannah wanted them to look different. It says Penina would taunt Hannah as they took their annual trip to the tabernacle. And each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears. She couldn't even eat. Maybe you've been in a family gathering like that before. Maybe you've been reduced to tears. There was friction in your family. And as a result, you lost your appetite entirely. This is the experience of Hannah over and over again. In fact, we see a lot written about Hannah in 1 Samuel. We can identify pretty quickly that she is a sweet, godly woman. And so she had to be asking, much like you and I ask, hey God, 
why are you blessing Penina, but you aren't blessing me? Maybe you're way more godly than me. There's been a lot of times in my life when I've been like, God, I'm doing everything that I feel you've told me to do. I've not, I've not cut corners. I've not taken shortcuts. But it seems like you're blessing them. And I know them. I've seen them behind closed doors. Why aren't you blessing me? And Hannah's a lot like you and me. She, she did the exact same thing that many of us have done. She prayed. She believed. And she waited. Maybe you prayed for the salvation of somebody that you that you love, and yet year after year, it's the same. You prayed for healing for somebody that you care deeply about. Maybe it's you. And yet year after year, it's, it's the same. You, you prayed. You prayed for that depression, that anxiety to, to leave, and yet year after year, it was, it was the same. Your marriage, financial hardship, your kids, your parents, your job, whatever it may be, and yet year after year, it's, it's the same. And you never planned on it, but one day you woke up and you found yourself asking God, where are you? And why haven't you answered my prayer? And slowly after a few more years go by, you begin to kind of grow bitter, bitter towards God and resent him just a bit, trust him a little bit less. And maybe you're even angry because you've been so consistently disappointed. Well, the story goes on in 1 Samuel. and In fact, we begin to identify, there's not a whole lot written about Elkanah, but, but for the best that we can tell, Elkanah, Elkanah was a pretty good guy. Like He was a pretty good man. He, and he tried his best as a husband, even, even what we can see of him as a, as a father. He, he's a good guy, but Elkanah is still a dude. And, and dudes, come on, come on, men. Dudes can say some pretty dudish things. And by dudish, I just mean stupid things, right? Like, now wives, this is not your opportunity to kind of elbow your husband inside you and be like, see, listen to the preacher. Come on, I told you. Like, no, this is just a moment for us men to be honest and be like, yeah, that's right. Like, there are some things that I say that no more than a split second later, I'm like, please, can I take that back, right? Like, and this is where Elkin is at. He's trying his best, and yet Elkin is still a dude. Now, I want, you to, I want you to look at the humanity, look at the normalcy of what's taking place. This is pretty comical. Look at what, look at what Elkin then says to Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8. He says, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah asks her, well, why are you eating? Why are you so down, downhearted? Just because you have no children? Hannah, you have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? Now, we don't, we don't know how Hannah, the scriptures don't tell us how Hannah responded, but the Spirit of God did tell me what she said. And if Hannah is anything like my wife, she, she said, I'm going to give you one more chance to, to ask that question again. I believe what you meant to say is, how in the world did you, somebody like you, ever get me, somebody like me? Like, I think that's what you meant to say. Like, Elkin is just a dude, and he says some pretty dudish things, like, like you and I even say today. But I share that with you because I want you to feel the pain that Hannah's experiencing here. Penina is making fun of her. Her husband is constantly putting his foot in his mouth. And so what do you do when God is seemingly withholding the one thing that you desire the most? 
three quick practices with the remaining time that we have together, just a few moments. I want to give you just kind of three quick things if you're taking notes. The first one is, how do you forgive God? We've got to learn to pray what you've got. Not pray what you think you ought to pray. Not pray what you think the Christian beside you or who's listening to you wants to hear you pray. Not pray what you think God will respond to you when you pray, but to pray the emotion of the moment of what you actually have. Learning not to church it up, but to actually grow in our relationship with God just the same way that we do with one another and to live vulnerable and to pray in that same manner. The story goes on in First Samuel chapter 1, and we begin to see Hannah demonstrate this in a practical way. It says in verse 9 that once, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah gets up, and she went out to pray. And Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle, and Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prays to the Lord. And as she was praying to God, Eli watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine, Hannah. Oh, no, sir. She replied, I haven't been drinking wine or, or anything for that matter. I'm just really discouraged. God, I'm just, gonna, I'm just telling God how I really feel. I was just pouring my heart out to him. I was being honest with him. Now catch this right here. Catch this. God welcomes your questions. Your good, gracious, heavenly father is big enough to handle your doubts. He's not surprised even by your disappointments. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he wrote, let us lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. In other words, I think what Lewis is saying here is, we gotta learn how to pray what we've got. Not what we think we ought to, not what we think we ought to have. In fact, the, the psalmist David, who's responsible for authoring about half of the psalms that we have recorded in our Old Testament, he writes in chapter 13, oh Lord, how long are you gonna forget me? Forever? How, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Have you ever felt this way before, the way that David feels here in Psalm 13? Of course you have. I know you have. We all have. If we if we're honest, if we're willing to actually learn how to pray what we've got, he goes on, he says, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord. Restore the sparkle to my eye or I'm gonna die. Don't let my enemies glow saying we got him. We've defeated him. Don't let them, rejo Don't let them rejoice in my downfall, God. And then as David concludes after praying what he's got, he says, okay, but God, like I, I trust in your unfailing love. If you're taking notes, write this down right here, like, God would rather have you yell at him in disappointment and pain than walk away from him defeated in silence. And yet that's what most of us do. Instead of growing in our relationship with God and coming to him and learning how to pray just simply what we've got, we walk away from him defeated in silence because he didn't give us what we thought we most needed. My wife is, uh, she's awesome. And oftentimes she knows what I'm thinking even before I think it's your story. And I'm not always the best at like reflecting on how I feel. I'm not always great at sharing my emotions. And, and sometimes she'll come to me and she'll say, babe, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? And I'm just sort of doing my thing, just sort of living my life. And, and I'm like, nothing, babe, I'm good. She's like, no, you're not. 
You're carrying something. You're feeling something. You're, you're, you've been thinking about something. What is it? Babe, I'm good. And sometimes she'll say, no, Jordan, slow down and just pause. Like, take some time because you're not yourself right now. You're kind of short-fused for the last few months. How are you really feeling? And oftentimes, as I'll take some, a few moments to reflect, I'll come back to her and say, babe, you don't really want to know. It's sort of all just sort of depressing. depressing. And I'll never forget one time when she said, babe, even, even when you share with me kind of your despair and the hopeless moments of your life in one sense, she said, that still makes me feel so close to you. And it was in those moments that she shared that that I thought, that's exactly how God is with us. And yet so often we walk away from him because we feel like, God, I can't say this to you because you're going to be frustrated with me. You're going to be mad at me. You're going to be disappointed with me. And God's like, no, no, no. The exact opposite is, is true. So again, the story goes on. First Samuel chapter one. Now we're in verse 19. It says the entire family then gets up early the next morning and and the family goes out to worship the Lord just one more time. Everybody say one more time. Goes out to worship God just one more time. And then they returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah then slept with Hannah, now this is of course after Elkanah had asked for forgiveness. Come on, husband, you know what I'm talking about. It says, then the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, catch that, in God's time, she gave birth to a son. Now, what the story of Hannah and Elkanah demonstrate for us today, and what I think the encouragement that the Lord wants to speak to you and to me, even in this exact moment in the room and online, is that God's delays, catch this right here, they are not necessarily God's denials. And so often what we can do is we can let go of the dream we once had because it didn't come in the time frame or the manner in which we thought it ought to come. It didn't look like the thing that we thought it was going to be, the thing we had hoped for. And so we, 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 we confuse God's delay as God's denial. And so we stop praying, we stop believing, we stop trusting, we stop moving forward. And we let go of all of that stuff because we think that God has abandoned the thing that we always thought he had first given us to begin with. And that's not true. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials on our lives, which leads me to our second point. We got to learn to trust in who, he, if we're going to learn to forgive God, if we're going to learn to kind of pull up the proverbial rug of our life and pull out the disappointment that we feel with God so we can actually grow in our relationship with God, we've got to learn to trust in who God is more than in what we want God to do for you and for me. I was talking to a friend a couple months ago, and we were just kind of reflecting on the Sunday morning experience, the Sunday morning gathering. And he and I were just talking about how sometimes it can feel like we come into a Sunday morning and we just sort of go through the routine and it's sort of just religious, like, I don't know, just this habit that we have. It's not always a bad thing per se, but... But sometimes we can allow sort of just a few, a few good points, a, a couple quick notes, maybe, maybe a little bit of humor interjected here and there. And, and then we kind of just go on our way and do our thing. But we really don't wrestle with what God is speaking to us in these moments. And I share that with you right now because I think this is one of those points here on a Sunday morning at Trademark Church that if we don't slow down and be like, Lord, what are you really saying here? We're going to miss out on something beautiful that the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. 
even right now, because God can do more in one moment of intentional reflection than you can do in a thousand years of intentional discipline. We gotta learn to trust more in who God is than we trust in what he can do for us, what we desire for him to do for us. Now, I've been praying, or at the very least, I've been around prayer for pretty much my entire life. I was one of those church kids whose dad made me go to church. Like, true story, there are multiple times when I can remember sitting in church and telling my dad, I need to go, I need to, go to the bathroom, dad. And he'd say, you can pee your pants, son, you ain't leaving now. Like, we grew up like old school church, like the kids wore the suit and the tie, right? Like, you didn't leave. Like, you were there early and you stayed late. We set up and we tore down. Like, we were old school. And so I grew up around prayer my whole life. And I think at, a, at some point, I sort of caught this idea that just isn't true. I began, to, I began to look at prayer sort of like Amazon Prime deliveries. I want what's delivered to look like what I expected and I want it to arrive in record time. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I ordered something on Amazon and then it told me after I had hit confirm that it was gonna take five days to show up. I was like, why in the world do I pay this subscription? I canceled that and I ordered something that comes the next day. Like, that's ridiculous. And I think I, think I oftentimes think about prayer in that same way. Like the answer, I want it delivered to my front door right away. And then when it is, I feel so close to God because he did what I wanted him to do. But there is something far too human and predictable about that being the way that prayer actually works. Because then my prayers become orders I place, the answers as cheap as products, and the sender nothing more than a far removed entity that I give little thought to until I need something else. And with prayer in my own life, and I'd venture to say in yours as well, I've expected too little of God and too much of myself. Here's the point. I've expected an infinite God to reduce his vast ways of doing things down to only what I can think up and pray for. And I wonder if you haven't done the same. Let me just pastor you for just a moment. And by pastor, I know I'm not your pastor, but if, if you allow me today, let me just kind of shepherd and care for like your spiritual health in this moment. Only God can see what's missing in your life as we ask for his provision. See, oftentimes we feel the ache of a need in our lives and we naturally fill it with what we think we need ourselves. But hear me, if God isn't providing for you in the way that you expect him to right now, then we must learn to trust that there is something God knows that you and I just don't know. And we may see it in time or we may not see it until eternity, but until we see it, we can know with certainty that he gives us what truly is his good provision. Whether that good is for today or it's a part of a much bigger plan. So listen to me, church. Even what we see in front of us may feel confusing. Even what we feel like we see in front of us isn't what we had hoped for and expected. Even what we see in front of us, we don't think it looks good. God sees things from a perspective that you and I just don't see. And so even when we don't agree that what is happening in our life is good, catch this right here, you do not need to understand God to trust in God. 
Where did we stop believing in the mystery of God? When did we stop? When did we start believing that we can contain God into our hands, that we can conform Him into the image of what we desire the most? When did that happen in the church? Like I just, like I want us to get back to that place. Like I want our church, my church in Columbus. So I, I want us as a church to grow in just the awe of God. Like when did we stop reverencing Him? There was a story that I heard not too long ago of a guy who went to go visit his mentor. If I said his name, y'all would know him and kind of an old school preacher, televangelist. And he, he fell from, from grace, so to speak. And, and he found himself in prison. And, and one of the guys who was being mentored by this guy, he had no idea what was happening. He went to go visit what was once his mentor in prison, this Christian giant of sorts. As he's sitting at a table at the, in the lunch yard, he asked, he asked this, this former preacher, this former pastor, he said, sir, when did, when did you stop loving Jesus? And his response was, loving Jesus. He said, I never stopped loving Jesus. He said, I stopped fearing God. If, if emotional preachers make you uncomfortable, I'm never coming back. Like, I'll never get invited back. Like, and I think that's where a lot of us are even today. I love the parts about God that benefit me. I just don't want to be transformed by the parts of God that one, I either don't understand, or two, I just don't really like. But you do not need to understand God to grow in your trust of God. My wife, she used to work for this doctor when we first got married, and, and, and he would give us free visits. He, he was a chiropractor and nutritionist, and I'll never forget one of the first times that I, that I went to Dr. Reagan, and, and Dr. Reagan began to ask me, like, hey, you got any like, problems with your body? And I said, yeah, in fact, most of my life, I was about 25 at the time, I said, most of my life, I've had a lot of back pain. I've been to two different doctors, and both of those doctors told me it was, it was a result of a previous sports injury growing up, and there's nothing where you could, you just kind of got to learn to live with the pain or, or, or have surgery. I thought, man, I'm too young. I don't want to, I don't want to do either of those things. And I began to share this with Dr. Reagan and, and he said, take off your shoes, Jordan. I said, you take off your shoes. <laughs> I said, okay. I took off my shoes. And he looked at my feet and he said, Jordan, he said, I know the problem. He said, your feet are so flat. He said, it looks like somebody took a sledgehammer to him. I said, man, you really know how to win somebody over doc. Like he said, no, he said, he said, your feet are so flat, there's no arch in them, and as a result, it's caused a lot of pain in your back. And he said, let me give you a few exercises you can do to build up the arches in your feet. Now, I kind of grew up working out in one sense, and the exercises he told me to do, they just didn't make any sense to me. Like, I just, I didn't understand what he was saying. And so, like, like a good man, I, I decided not to do anything the doctor told me to do. Like, <laughs> Every couple months, I'd go back to visit Dr. Reagan, and each time, he'd say, Jordan, you're not doing the exercises, are you? Your feet look the exact same. I said, no, Doc, I am not. Well, a few years went by, and we just kind of celebrate Christmas with their family and hang out with them for different, different work-related events. I got to know Dr. Reagan on a personal level. And as I did, I, I started to really like Dr. Reagan. And I, I began to trust him just a little bit more because I grew in my relationship with him. And secretly, come on somebody, secretly, I started doing those exercises. 
About a year went by and I'm visiting with Dr. Ray. He said, Jordan, he said, the last several visits, you have not complained about your back pain. He said, you, you've been doing the exercises, haven't you? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir, I have. He said, it's been helping, hasn't it? I said, yeah. He said, what changed? I said, Doc, I, I realized that I'm a preacher and I'm not gonna invite you to come preach for me and you're a doctor and you're not gonna bring me into your practice and have me practice whatever it is that you do, this voodoo medicine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because you're better at what you do than I do and even though I don't understand what you do, I trust you. It's that same way in our relationship with God. And I think for, for most of us, our disappointment with God isn't a result of failed expectations. It's a result that we don't really know him. At some point along the lines, we started thinking that we know better than God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're about to close out as demonstrated by the band coming up here telling me to shut up. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 1, the apostle Paul is writing. And Paul, this is the man who's responsible about but authoring roughly two-thirds of our entire New Testament. And Paul's coming to the, to the end of his life, and he's writing this letter to this young protege in his faith, this young pastor by the name of Timothy. And in fact, Paul right now, as he's penning this letter, he's in prison, and he's awaiting his trial, of which Paul realizes is most likely going to lead to his death, to his martyrdom. And so as Paul begins to write this letter, he knows, like, this is probably one of the last times I'm going to get to I'm gonna get to write a letter to, to my son in the faith, Timothy. And he says in verse 12, Timothy, I'm suffering right now here in prison. Like it's, it's not going well for me. My, my circumstances don't look very good, but I'm not ashamed of it because I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm, I'm confident of this. I'm sure that he is able to guard what I've in return entrusted to him until the day of his return. Do you notice what Paul doesn't say? Timothy, I'm, I'm confident because, uh, well, I know what I prayed for. And I prayed in faith, Timothy. And, I, and whenever I pray in faith, Timothy, whoo, it moves some mountains, Timothy. Things change when I pray, son. He says, no, he said, even if things don't go the way that I hoped that they would go, I'm confident because I trust in God. And he just, he knows better than me. I'm closing right here. This is my last point. This is my shortest point, I promise. How do we learn to forgive God? How do we learn to kind of move forward after being disappointed by God? We got to learn to see the miracles in the moment. Elizabeth Kensinger, she's a professor at Boston College. She did a study about five, six years ago where she identified that we are twice as likely, all of humans, we are, we are twice as likely to see the bad and the negative things happening in our lives than we are to see all the good stuff that's happening in our lives. We are more than twice as likely to recognize, ah, that is the reason why I'm so depressed, than we are to see all of the really beautiful miracles that are continuing to take place on a daily basis, even right now, all around us. In fact, as we kind of just throw up a blank screen up here, what do you, what do you all see? What do you see, a little participation right now as we close this out? What do you all see? Yeah, just a blank screen. What do y'all see right now? Like that. What you, you guys are way sharper than first service. I had two people tell me what they saw in first service. <laughs> you know what's interesting though? It's like we, we all see the black. That's sort of where our attention goes. 
But ironically, like there's a whole lot more white space than there is one little black dot. But we are just so much more likely to see all of the stuff that's happening around us than we are to see the beauty of the miracle that's happening in the moment. Like I love what Pastor Landon said a moment ago. Like, like you and I have a lot more in common than we have that makes us different. Like, we, like if, we all, if we just have Jesus in common, come on, there's still unity is possible regardless of whether you vote red or you blow, vote blue. Regardless of which side of the issue with Roe v. Wade you fall on. Like regardless of what you think about everything else that's going on in the peripheral, not that those things don't matter, just in comparison to who Jesus is and the way in which he unites his church, it all feels kind of small and insignificant. We gotta learn to see the miracles in the moment. This is exactly what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, where he says, look, I, I've gone through some stuff, some bad seasons of life, and I'm hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I'm, I'm perplexed, like I'm confused. I don't really understand what's going on, but I'm not in despair. I've been persecuted, but I realize that God has never let me go. Like he's walking with me even through the difficult seasons of my life. I've been struck down, but I've, I've not been destroyed. Like I, I've been left for dead and stoned to death, but I still got breath in my lungs. Therefore, God is not done with me yet. And some of us can read something like this from the great apostle Paul and think, man, he was just so positive. And I'm just not a positive person. You don't need to be a positive person to begin to trust in God because Jesus will make up the gap and the distance between what you can do and what only he can do. Because in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the best way to get your faith strengthened is to learn how to have communion with Christ. It's to learn to slow down and to pray what you've got. It's to learn to trust in who he is more than we trust in how great our prayer is or how much we think we know what we need the most. It's rather saying, God, I see what you're doing in the moment. In fact, even if I don't see the miracles in the moment, I'm still going to lay before you my doubts, my disappointment, my insecurity, my fear, my questions, my insecurity. I'm gonna give it all to you. I'm going to keep showing up. And like Hannah did, I'm going to choose to worship just one more time. In fact, we sort of have a custom. I'm closing right here. Look. These guys are making me sound real spiritual. This is a great moment. I'm closing right. The, the custom at our church in Columbus is that we, we close out every service the same way every week. The world is so busy. There's a lot going on. The moment you step out of here, you'll have a lot of things. That, In fact, you probably are. There's probably been moments already today. You're just, there's things you're worrying about. And so I just want to take just 60 seconds. We won't take long, I promise. I just want to take 60 seconds right now to close your eyes, just to avoid being distracted. And just to, if you're comfortable, if you're willing, I understand if maybe you're newer to church, newer to Jesus, not sure what you believe. You don't have to do this. If you're comfortable, just open up the palms of your hand in front of you. If you're not sure what I mean, you can just look up here briefly and then close your eyes again. Just open the palms of your hand. This, all we're doing, there's nothing overtly spiritual about this posture. We're just outwardly saying, God, I want to receive from you right now. That's all we're doing. And I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Just simply say, Holy Spirit, now that I know, what should I do? And I believe in this moment, God will speak to you. He will bridge the gap between what I prepared to say and what only he can speak through his spirit. Holy Spirit, use our imaginations right now to speak to us. Use our minds. Use your soft, still, small voice to encourage us to, to trust you again, 
to take another step forward again, to pick up that dream that we once laid down, to pick up that prayer that we stopped praying. Whatever it may be, I, I don't even know. It may be something completely unrelated to what we discussed this morning. Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do right now with what we just heard? We honor you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would that you would burn anything that was said this morning that just isn't of you, doesn't honor you, but that you would seal in our hearts everything that you've spoken to us through what I've prepared and just through your gentle voice. And that God, we would learn to grow in our relationship with you by trusting you even when we don't understand. It's in the matchless and priceless precious name of Jesus, all of us together said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.